focused on one thing in the beginning rather than trying to do all the things, I know my channel would be double or quadruple what it is now. So I think that's a lesson a lot of entrepreneurs learn is we want to do all the things in the beginning when really taking one thing at a time is like master something and then move on to the next. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Danny J, YouTube expert and affiliate marketing expert. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, we uh, didn't really know what we were going to be doing this weekend and definitely didn't plan on doing much because we did uh, ACL or Austin City Limits last weekend, which is like the huge concert kind of festival thing. But it's two weekends in a row. And Friday morning, we're doing our workout and someone offered Leslie because they work for Tito's. They offered her some free passes for Friday night shows, as well as some like passes to the Tito's lounge where there's like free drinks and stuff back there in a different place. You can kind of go view some of the concerts from. So we're like, ah, screw it. Let's go. And uh, we actually took the bus up there, which is some of our first uh, interaction with public transportation around Austin. And it was a pretty slick process. We went from our door to we were through all the security and in the festival uh, within an hour. So we went down there and did that on Friday and even got some like free snacks and stuff. Thanks to some little Amex perks. So always look out for those little, you know, little fine details. And then on Saturday, um, I met up with a buddy who I haven't seen in quite a while who lives around Austin, but I took him out to this spot around Austin called Dripping Springs. where There's a lot of really cool, uh, there's like brewery after brewery and distillery and it's these huge properties and some places, with some great barbecues. So we did that. And then Sunday, um, kind of kept it just local to the house and did some projects, installed three ceiling fans that I got at this random like open box place in Corinth, back in my hometown to Mississippi. Thankfully, they all work, had all the parts with them. So uh, that was a big win. So that was my weekend. How about you, Cody? Well, speaking of barbecue and eating, I went to, you're probably familiar, Justin, in Boston, Fogo de Chao. It's like a Brazilian steakhouse and it's unlimited meat inside. So as a Phi optimizer, I ate until I almost exploded. I actually woke up at 4 a.m. that night because I was like dripping sweat from overeating. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't suggest, but it was delicious. And I definitely got my money's worth, which was the goal. Then on Saturday, we had a little birthday bash for my fiance, Lauren's cousin and her stepmom as well. And then kind of hung out and watched football on Sunday and actually watched the new Michael Myers Halloween movie because we, we love those movies. Kind of lackluster, but it was all right. And then on the business front, we actually have an exciting new property that we might be acquiring. Not sure. Fingers crossed. The offer is in, though. It's this like weird A-frame house in this adjacent town. It's like 20 minutes away from us. But it's not a great long-term rental. Like it's kind of weird looking. Like it's has the spiral staircase up to a loft and has this like just living room connected to a kitchen. Like it definitely is not ideal for a long-term situation, but for a short-term rental or a medium-term rental, it seems like the perfect property. So we put an offer in, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. And yeah, my fiance Lauren has a super awesome design eye. So we're hoping we can just like make it a one of those picturesque, super cute Airbnbs that people are dying to book, but keep you updated. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's talk about our guest today, Danny J. So I actually know Danny through a family friend, Jen. And Jen was like, you got to meet my friend Danny. Like she's doing a lot of similar stuff to you. Like she's making money online. She's you know creating YouTube videos and affiliate marketing. And so we got a chance to sit down with Danny and kind of dissect her full story of 
getting started on YouTube, kind of talking about some of the ESL, English as a second language programs, how she started making money with them, how she started making even more money as an affiliate for those programs, creating content about how other people could get started with ESL. And it's just really interesting to get to pick her brain about, you know, when she first started YouTube to now, like all the things she wished she could go back and erase and redo, but just the fact that she got started and iterated. And now she has this kind of passive income business that lets her work from anywhere around the world. The one piece that you kind of touched on there, Cody, is the, the part that really stuck out to me was that she started doing it as English as a second language, this job. And then she realized, oh, wait, like it's actually the referrals that's going to make me even more money and be way more passive because there's no end to that. It can scale up way more than my time can scale. And that's the common thread that we see with a lot of guests is when they start to unlock that aspect of scale. And so she started realizing, hey, I can just provide content that is helpful, that helps people understand the program. And then I'll have links there that they can use because now they're going to be excited about it and can go sign up using my code. And boom, now I'm getting paid more than the actual gig itself in the first place. And that allowed her to live you know, all over the world, which obviously like she was living in places that were cheaper to live than even the U.S., but those two things combined, like some geo arbitrage with a little bit of side hustle that has some very passiveness to it and scale, really shows you what you can do with a very simple setup. And now, obviously, she's taking that to the next level. Where she's really helping people with you know marketing and, and how to put things on YouTube and really teaching people how to do the things that she worked through and realized through practice to be successful now. Like It's just making it easier for people to go out there and, and kind of copy her moves. So whether you're interested in maybe like getting a YouTube channel started or just video at all, like she's doing all kinds of different video media, you can get all that information and then share it with other folks who might want to listen to the show at thefyshow.com slash Danny. That's thefyshow.com slash D-A-N-I-E. Take it away, Danny. I've always been like an old entrepreneur at heart. But in high school, one of my best friends and I, we started a clothing business. So we'd go to Goodwill because we were always at Goodwill anyway. And we would buy clothing that we thought was pretty cool. And then we would just shush it up. And so we would like dye things or have a little sewing kit. And then we fell so deeply in love with all the things that we made that we like put this crazy price on it. Right? We're like, how much is this worth? Well, to us, it was worth like $300 because we put so much work into it and we liked things so much. So our business tanked right away because everything was super overpriced. But that was like my first taste of creating things that I felt really passionate about and then attempting to sell them. And um, from there, it's been trying a bunch of different ventures. But that was like kind of my first real venture. Yeah, just in general, I grew up in the Midwest in Illinois. So I'm very friendly. (laughs) And I went to school in Orlando, which is how I met Jen, which is how Cody and I connected from a family friend. From there, after I graduated, started my first business and I've kind of been rolling. And when you were, you know, like coming up high school, whatever, did you think I might have a normal career? I might have like a typical, like I'll go to college, I'll get a normal nine to five. Or was it always pretty clear to you that, no, I'm going to do my own thing? I was always like really all or nothing. I don't know when I really knew I was going to become like like a full on, like I'm going to have a crazy job and I'm going to live in a bunch of different countries and that sort of thing. I think I really knew when I had an internship in college and I was working for a pest control company and I was like, this life is not for me. But even as a little kid, like I was really weird and I liked to like make videos and be creative. I would walk around my house in like strange outfits and try to listen to like fake gospels that I would (laughs) write out. So I don't know, maybe it was always destined, I think, but I didn't really know until I felt like the prison of the nine to five that this isn't for me. And oh gosh, the world is really your oyster if you decide that it can be. 
So coming out of college, I know you went to university, you went to Rollins with Jen. You have yeah. to pay the bills somehow. Did you have like any type of a part-time job or was entrepreneurship just already paying the bills at that point? Oof, no, it was not. <laughs> it wasn't for a while. So after I graduated, I moved back in with my parents and then I got a job bartending or like as a, you know, like a, a therapist, they say bartender slash therapist. <laughs> and I worked to save up enough money to be able to first move overseas. And my best friend and I, we went to different schools. We both knew that we wanted to build a company together, to like do something after we graduated that wasn't the nine to five. And so we thought about a lot of things and we decided we were going to start a travel company for women in Vietnam. And that in itself was a long story. I studied the Vietnam War as a history major and I led a field study as a student my senior year. I postponed my graduation to be able to lead this trip abroad. And so I'd made a connection there in Vietnam and I fell in love with the country. And then the booking agent that my professor hired, like I felt like, oh, I've got a connection there. We could start this travel company and get other women to come with us on these boutique travel tours. And we were crazy enough to think that we could do it. And we did it. So we graduated, we worked and we saved up like 10 grand. And then we were like, okay, let's do this. And she'd never been outside the country before. So I was like, well, you got to get a taste of what travel is really like before we start this travel company. So we went to Sri Lanka first, backpacked all of Sri Lanka. And then from there, went to Vietnam and then start planning out our first tour. And what was the business model? Like, What were you going to actually offer people? What were you selling? We found there was a market for a lot of single women who wanted to travel, even if they were maybe married, but their husbands didn't want to do these kind of more out there trips. And they were willing to go alone, but they wanted to go with a group. So either it's women wanting to go throughout their husbands, single women, mom and daughter duos, that sort of thing, who didn't feel comfortable traveling alone, but wanted something outside of the status quo, like just going to Cabo or something. So we knew there was a market and I'd seen other businesses doing really well. We knew that there was a market for it, but we had really didn't have a clue of what we were doing. So <laughs> our model in the beginning was like, okay, let's plan out a tour and then let's let's market it to as many people as we can and we know. And it was all bootstrapped and really just like deciding that we were going to do it. And we didn't have a good business model, to be honest. We just had <laughs> grit and determination. <laughs> so it sounds like this business wasn't too, too successful. And was this like before Airbnb experiences and all that? Because we actually just talked to someone recently who just, this sounds like the perfect thing for an Airbnb experience. Like women's group trip in Vietnam was, what was your marketing strategy at this point? And how did the company end up kind of fizzling out if it did? I think the big thing is we really didn't understand branding and marketing. So we had a really, really good trip plan. Like I still to this day think it's like the best Vietnam trip you could get because we had all like these local guides that were really amazing. And you, it was this really authentic experience where we'd like have our friends host people and cook dinner. So it was almost kind of like an Airbnb experience before Airbnb experiences and us taking people around. But yeah, we just didn't understand like how to market it in general. I think a lot of entrepreneurship for me in the beginning has been like diving into something and trying and, and learning along the way. And for us, we had no setup like financial plan. We didn't have a branding guide of understanding like who is our ideal client? Where are they hanging out? Where should we be advertising to them? All of that was sort of in the back burner. We tried to do everything on our own. And I think if we would have hired on somebody that was a marketing expert, we'd have done a lot better, but we were wanting to do everything alone. And so just ended up being, I wouldn't say it wasn't a disaster, but it just it <laughs> ended up being not something that we were really like dedicated to enough that we pursued it as it was kind of like, oh, this is hard to get people to come on these trips. 
are we going to keep doing it or not? And we know you didn't stop there. We know that wasn't the last business venture. So what was the next one that came through? While we were running this company or building up this company, a guided misdirection, MISS, we had also been teaching ESL online. It was this huge industry. It actually died quite recently, maybe a little less than a year ago. China banned all of their extracurricular activities and things. So um, I'm not teaching ESL online, but that's probably the niche I would still be in now if that hadn't gone away. But we were teaching English online for the same company that well, the company we were with then was called VIP Kit, about over 100,000 teachers in the US. And that was kind of our way of making income while we were building up this business. And I'd seen a lot of teachers doing referring. And so what you do is you would tell other people about this job where you're making like 20, 25 bucks an hour from anywhere, don't have to write any curriculum, all Wi-Fi based, so great for digital nomads. So people would get on YouTube and they start sharing about it. And so I saw a lot of people doing it for this one company. I thought, oh, man, I wish I could do that. That would be really cool if it could be me. And I didn't think there was room for me, so I didn't start. And then I found a job with another ESL company that was newer. And I got on YouTube and I started referring. So that became another business that I started where I referred teachers, first one ESL company and then a bunch of other ESL companies in general, and built up a business with a really small YouTube channel that I still have to this day. And obviously, it's like my main thing to doing YouTube, teaching YouTube. But I found loads of success in referring and helping people get jobs teaching English online. And it's been so fun. So that one's still going on right now. And just for a quick definition, could you define ESL for the listeners who don't know? Yes. English as a second language. So teaching English to kids, that's their second language. So mostly I was working with kids in China. Okay. Awesome. Just wanted to get that definition out there. So you start making money, you're doing all these ESL programs. It sounds like you ended up getting booted off of one when it shut down, went to another one, went to another one. I was checking out your YouTube channel. You have videos on like multiple platforms. It seems like you're just crushing it in that area. Was that the first video you ever created? I know you mentioned young Danny was like (laughs) dressing up weird and listening to gospel, but what was the first like (laughs) quote unquote real YouTube video you launched? (laughs) <laughs> yes. So the first video I ever did was for this company, GoGo Kit, which is obviously it's died now since China passed this law, but they're actually owned by the same company that owns TikTok, ByteDance. So they own like all my like AI, I think probably now somehow. <laughs> but I found out about this GoGo Kit company and I like immediately saw, I'm like, this could be something. It's like when you find a hole in the market, right? I'm like, I found a hole in the market. This company is, looks really solid. It looks very similar to this other one and nobody knows about it yet. And so I found the job listing on Facebook. I applied for the job and got the job all in like one sitting. I did the interview. There was like an interview like 30 minutes from when I was sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I clicked. I'm gonna, I did this interview, got the job. And right after that, I literally sat down on the floor with my laptop on the bed. And I made my first YouTube video talking about GoGo Kid because I'm like, you know what? I didn't feel comfortable. Like I could do it about this other company. There were too many people doing it. There's such an opportunity. This is going to be my first video. And so... Yeah, it was really bad. And I have a panda puppet. I'm pretty sure I'm using. I know definitely in my first or second video, I've got my panda puppet because you're like, English is a second language. You're working with kids, right? So I'm a hot mess. Yeah, I get flushed at one point because I'm embarrassed. You know, you're putting yourself out there. So that was the first video I ever put out. And it's been great ever since. But yeah, <laughs> it's a journey. And it's just a little spot check. I know you before you were in Vietnam and when you're getting that travel company startup, and I know you still travel a ton of places. Are you still traveling at that time or had you come back to the U.S. and kind of tried to hunker down to get something next started? 
once I went overseas after saving up that chunk of money, I pretty much stayed in Vietnam. So even after we, when we didn't have as many tours running, I was still in Vietnam living there. Any of the listeners have never been to Vietnam. It is so amazing. The food's great. The cost of living is very low. Everyone's friendly. So even like COVID, I was stuck in the States. But as soon as I could, I went back to Vietnam. I, the only reason I'm back here now is because I got dengue fever in Bali. So I came home for a little bit, but I'll be back overseas soon. But yeah, for a long time, Vietnam was home. Hanoi was home for me. And now, like I was saying to you, I feel like I'm a little bit homeless and kind of just a wanderer. But yeah, mostly all of these businesses I was building in Asia or just on the go, like either I'm with my family, like in Northern California, Nevada, or Chicago or overseas. So before we kind of get into the Danny YouTube era where you start crushing it on YouTube, I do want to focus in on kind of the point where you move over, you're teaching ESL, you're living in Vietnam. Can we go over some of those numbers? Like what was your like monthly rent? How much are you spending on food? And then also from the income side, if we can get into that, like what is the ceiling on what you can make as an ESL teacher? Like let's say you're willing to grind, you know, 60, 80 hours a week. Is it like a living wage or do you have to get another job on top of that? Okay. Yeah. So monthly rent that I was paying in Vietnam at the time, I think I had an apartment there for three fifty, and it was fully furnished. One bedroom came with the maid once a week. What? Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So you can even get cheaper than that. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we stayed I, before when my partner, my business partner and I started our first company, we lived in this like really, really bougie apartment and it was 900 a month, but there were three of us and it was three bedroom. Also came with the maid once a week. Yes, I'm telling you, Vietnam is awesome. So meals there are maybe like 90 cents, sometimes less than that. Sometimes I was paying 50 cents because I'm a vegetarian. Back then I wasn't though, so a little bit more, but pretty similar. So really my cost of living was crazy low. So when I was teaching ESL online, you're making about 20, 25 bucks an hour. I could live off of like next to, you know, I could work only a couple hours a day and I was totally fine. But yeah, once I started referring, I started seeing like, oh, I really felt that, wow, this is what it's like when money can just work for you. And I'd wake up to a couple, $400 because four four people that night had taught their first class. So I'd gotten paid a commission for those new teachers. And so that's when I first felt like, ooh, I can make more money here. But in the beginning, yeah, people in the ESL world, it's like when you're trading your time for money. So I think... You can make decent money teaching English online, but what I found a lot of teachers doing is if you're independent, you can have a higher rate. So that's what a lot of teachers are doing now that working like maybe for 40 to 50 bucks an hour and nobody takes a cut because you're getting your own students, which in itself is, you know, you've got to be marketing things. So that can take time. But I found then some teachers like me, then we're like, well, we'll refer teachers. So we teach less and we're making more passive income. But I think it's a great option for like a side gig for people who love kids and you like teaching curriculum. I've got a couple of friends that they teach others how to have like full-time businesses and it can be something quite lucrative. But again, it's like it's capped to hourly. So for me, I think it's great for a little bit, but you always want that other thing that can be growing that has no scale on the side. Everybody may not be doing ESO, but there's probably a lot of things that folks listening could do that have to do with referrals. And so I'm wondering like when you first got started with that, is there any lessons learned you think would be good for the audience to hear around how to get people to actually sign up for your referral versus just like going to the random website or whatever it is, like circumventing your referral? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. 
That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. I love that question. Yes, because I found that what people really want and what I think allowed me to stand out in a market that then did become pretty saturated with teachers also referring is being super honest about products. And so there's two parts of that. First, you need to pick products that have affiliate or referral programs. So if you are in between two products that you're trying to decide in your business and you can't really decide, pick the one that has the better affiliate program and which one's going to pay you a higher commission because if you're building up your brand or you're going to be recommending things, it's a win-win for you. So I think that's one thing is being really smart about the products that you use. And of course, you know, there's some products I love and use. They don't have any affiliate and that's fine. But being able to kind of have that on the side of the world, most of them do have affiliate links. That's nice, especially if you're building a personal brand. And then the second thing with that is being super honest, like I was saying about if you like it or not, the things you do like and you don't like. And that's the one thing when I was sharing about these ESL companies, I was brutally honest. Like, does this company and their policies... Is it not so good sometimes? I would always share the negatives and my honest opinion. And sometimes that got me in trouble. Like I was not the crowd favorite of the actual companies a lot of times, but I had so many referrals. They couldn't, they like couldn't deny me, but I knew a lot of them didn't like a couple of them too. They didn't like me as much because I wouldn't be a puppet for them. And I think that's really important. And I think people see through that. And so if you're getting on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube to share about things and doing these review videos, the, the most honest ones are going to be the ones that usually have the highest conversion rate I found, especially in my videos. And so was that your main traffic source? Was it YouTube or was this predating YouTube when you started getting these referrals? No, this was all YouTube. It was amazing. So I hacked the YouTube SEO strategy. So I figured out, okay, how can I get my video? I always want my video to be shown up first, second, or third. Usually, I mean, you want to be that first video, right? But if you could be top three, you knew that that video was going to make you a lot of money because I want my video when somebody's to thinking of a company, let's say they're looking up GoGo Kid, a company that I work for. Is GoGo Kid legit? Well, I want to be the video that shows up is like, is GoGo Kid legit? Is it a scam? Everything you need to know about GoGo Kid. If I know people are typing that in, that needs to be my title and I want to be that first person showing up. And so that's what I did. And that's why everything was pretty much from YouTube. I did a little bit of Instagram, but honestly, because YouTube is a search engine, that's where people were going to figure out about how that they could have this job. I knew that that's where I needed to be. And so that's where I spent all my time. And it really paid off. I had even at one point, I think, you know, when I even had a thousand subscribers, I could retire from teaching ESL if I wanted to. Like I didn't really need to teach at all anymore. I could just, my, my income from those referrals was enough to be like, I'm all good. Granted, I was in Vietnam. So if I was in the States, like maybe not, you know, I have to, I got to be teaching more hours. But in Vietnam, I was like, Shoot, I don't like, 
what time is it today? It's 12 o'clock. I'm off, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and what were you tactically doing to figure out what you should title YouTube videos, what you should put in the description? Like, how do you, you know, hack the SEO, like you said? Yes. So in the beginning, it's a lot of, it's a lot of trial and error and figuring out like what's working for other people. So in the beginning, I started doing a lot of competitor research, like what are the top videos? What are those titles and, and why do they work? So I, I would look at who are the top people in this industry and what do I feel like? What are they doing well? And I would look at their titles and you'll see on YouTube, you'll notice if you look up something and you see a bunch of like a very popular topic, you'll see almost not always, but depending on the subject, most people have like the same exact title almost because there's something about it that's working. And so that's a thing too, where someone will have a video pop off and people will take that same title and kind of, they either use the same exact title or they'll make it just a little bit different. So a lot of competitor research, and I think that's important for people getting on YouTube, don't necessarily watch the videos, but look and analyze what they've put in their title and their description, all these things. And you can learn a lot. And then I also watch actually a lot of YouTube to learn YouTube. and. I took a course on blogging that also really helped blogging and ranking on Google search is very similar to showing up on YouTube search. And then I also use a plugin called TubeBuddy and that really helped as well in learning, okay, what keywords or long tail keywords, which are longer phrases that someone would actually type in to search for what you're creating. So I would say, all right, what are the suggestions that TubeBuddy has of like what people are actually looking up? So there's some really good resources that people can use like TubeBuddy. I love Keywords Everywhere is another good one. Yeah, Keywords Everywhere. I don't know if you guys use, but that one's that one's really awesome. Even like looking and seeing what does Google Trends say is working right now and, and that sort of a thing. Yeah. So it's a lot of trial and error, market research, using TubeBuddy, all of that. And so when someone's starting out on YouTube, or I guess you can use your own story as an example, do you recommend just like really staying honed into a certain niche? or just using these tools that you're talking about, like TubeBuddy and Keywords Everywhere, to try to just like hit the popular things in a bunch of different niches? I tell my clients, we find a really specific target audience. Of course, I want you to have a niche, right? But I really want you to be talking to like one specific type of person. So if you can understand like deeply who is specifically the one person you're talking to, then you don't have to have like as small of a niche as... We used to say that you would need on YouTube, right? Are these things that that one person would be interested in? But I do think in the beginning that it is important. If the more you niche down to very specific topic, the easier it is to grow. Because let's say like I want to get on YouTube and I want to be a yoga instructor, that there's too much competition. It's just nearly impossible. There's a reason why we know about who are all the top YouTubers. It's because it's not super common to like just make it right away on YouTube usually even like Mr. Beast, right? Like it took him like, what is it like 10 years or something to like build up. So really slow and steady growth is the key to YouTube, but it's so worth it because you can make a lot of money and build that community. Like (laughs) if you were to start with something like yoga, obviously that's too broad. So I tell my clients, let's say if you were to start a channel on postnatal yoga, that's way more specific, right? Now you've got like a much smaller group of women. And so who's that person you're talking to? That's maybe a woman who just had a baby and is trying to like, so, so think of the specific person that you want to talk to and what are the specific things that that person would look up. That's going to be helpful. So yeah, I do think you need a niche. And if you don't want to niche yourself, because I know entrepreneurs, like they never want to put themselves in a box, then you at least need to be really, really specific. Like you need to know the age of the person, you know, the likes of that person. You need to know what is a general reason why they're coming to you, all of these things in order to really scale a community. Because if not, 
right? If you talk to everybody, you're talking to nobody, and that super applies to YouTube as well. And I know a lot of times when we talk to people, especially like social media or blogging, it's always just be consistent, like keep putting content out there. Obviously, you want it to be good, but consistency is always a big thing. Is that as important as YouTube that you're constantly putting out videos? Thank goodness it is not as bad as TikTok. Do you see recently <laughs> people are like, you need to be putting out five videos a day. I'm like, in what world? <laughs> no. So YouTube, yes, you do want to be consistent, but... I even say to my clients, like, can you put out a video, a long video every other week? Wonderful. Every other week is all you really need. And now with people consuming so much content, like sometimes even one video a week from your favorite creators feels like a lot. You're like, oh, shoot, they've got another video out. Like (laughs) one video every other week is enough to continue to scale your channel. And then what we've been doing is YouTube shorts. There's so much growth potential. I know even messaged Cody about YouTube shorts. Like, are you putting these on YouTube shorts? Because I love (laughs) your Instagram reels. But what we'll do is we'll put one Instagram short. um, I'm sorry, one YouTube short or two, the weeks that you don't put out a YouTube video. That's like really doable, right? Can you get out one under 60 second video a week? And then the next week, can you get out one like five to 10 minute video? And especially if you have an editor, like it's really doable to grow. And the big kicker here is that your videos show up in search for years, potentially. So it's not like TikTok where it's like, I'm going to put a video every other day and then goodbye in the algorithm. Like, <laughs> it's the best thing ever. I've got videos from years ago that still show up in search and it's almost overwhelming because ESL is not my niche anymore. So I have constant DMs of being like, can you help me teach English online? And I'm like, I can't. I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> but that's the power of YouTube. That's awesome. So going back to Justin's question about like the quantity over quality thing, I mean, you probably could pump out five YouTube videos if you took like a one minute unedited thing on your phone and just threw it up there. But is there like a rule of thumb when it comes to how well edited or just like how well put together a video should be? Obviously, you probably don't want to spend like 20 hours editing a one minute video, but you also don't want to just like throw up a random video that's horrible because it's not going to work. Is there like a happy medium? Right. Yeah, I would say... The content is always going to be more important than the quality of editing the video, but it's got to have a good hook. So like nobody cares about you, right? They care about like how you can help them, especially if this video is supposed to go into a search engine. People want to answer their question. So if you can create a video that's answering a question and it's you and like, if you're awkward, like cool, be awkward, but you know, like you're being yourself in the video and you're sharing something helpful, boom. You don't need crazy good editing because you've got the components of a magnetic brand, right? It's helpful. It's getting to the point and it's you. So it's unique. But I think as you put out more content, it's just going to get your editing. It's going to get better and all of these things. So I would say things though, that are just like thrown together and it's not serving your business in a very specific way. Like people that throw out content and just put out content like, oh, well, you know, it's Wednesday. I need to put out a video. Mm, No, like wait, wait to make sure. Is this talking to your ideal person? Is it serving your business in some way? Like you'll notice if you go to my channel, I always am trying to get people on my email list. The first 30 seconds, I'm like, by the way, be sure to grab my go viral video guidebook and real quick. And then we get into the video. But like, I want you to be, this video needs to serve you in a specific way. So make sure that you need that strategy. Don't just put out content to put out content. Yeah, I think quality is always going to be more important. There are some YouTubers that put out a video like once a year, right? And they still do well. (laughs) Obviously, that's not probably people in your our niche, but it's this content hamster wheel that we're all on. And I think the more you can think like, is this serving well? And does it serve me? Then put it out. And if not, then like, it's okay to take some days off from social media. 
I think along that same line of quality, a thing that would stop people from jumping in and kind of keep putting in office feeling like, I don't have the right equipment. Obviously, cameras on like your phones and stuff have gotten so much better. Would you recommend somebody just grabbing like a like a DJI Osmos or something like a stabilizer for a cell phone and keep it simple? Or is there certain kind of equipment that you would recommend people getting? Yeah, I told them like, keep it super simple. If you got the iPhone 13, like you're good. Use your iPhone. <laughs> Just make sure you're doing it horizontal. I've had a client once who filmed her first whole video vertical and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, but you got to redo the whole thing. <laughs> the misconception again is that you have to have like all this fancy equipment or to have a really, and, and even editing software to have a really successful channel. And like, I can tell you from personal experience, that is not the case at all. Do you have something helpful to share? Yes. Film the video on your iPhone. Get if you need a mic, like the Snowball mic is a great one. I think it's like 40 bucks. It's pretty cheap right now. Like even using, I started my channel with an external Logitech camera. Those you can get even secondhand for like 40 bucks. So you don't need a fancy setup. You just need something helpful to share. And I know we talked earlier about how affiliates were kind of the start of your YouTube money generation. And there's tons of other ways to make money on YouTube. So I was wondering for the listeners out there, if you could kind of just go through like all of the awesome ways that you can make money with YouTube, because I think a lot of people don't even realize that there's that many. For sure. Okay. So the best way to make money from your channel is to like pull new clients into your business, right? So that's like indirectly, but that's a huge way that I have my one client who's like her whole business now, all of her clients come to her from YouTube. Amazing. So because if your ideal client is looking up for questions, if you can be that person answering questions, boom, they're probably going to hire you on. So just getting your name out there. But also then there's YouTube ad revenue. I just got an email the other day from YouTube saying that they're now going to have ad revenue apply to YouTube shorts. So, so cool. Like what other social media does that? No other social media. It's not like a fund where they're giving it to creators. It's like actual ad money that you can make now. So for me, I have 13,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. And I make about a little over 400 bucks a month from YouTube ads. And if I wanted to increase that, I could, I could put more ads in the middle of my videos. But for me, I more want my videos to funnel into my business. So I don't do that as often. But if I wanted to increase that, I could by putting more ads in, I just choose not to. So that doesn't suck, right? Like a little extra cash in the wallet. And what's cool is that it scales, right? As your business, as your channel grows, that ad revenue will grow as well. You can also make money, like we said, from affiliate links. So you'll see in your favorite creators, they'll have those links in the bottom of like the equipment they use and all of those things or recommending different products. So you can make some good money there. And doing review videos is a great way to do that. Now I'm making like probably, I'd say about five to 600 bucks a month. I'll make from just one Kajabi video I had because I'm recommending the product. People use my link from that I found on YouTube and then I make affiliate income on that. So that's another way. You can also get sponsorships. You can do this again, even if you have a small channel, if it's niched into something specific, so people see you as an expert on that, then some companies, and you can even reach out to companies, say, would you like to sponsor a video? I just recently did that with one company. Would you like to sponsor a video? I had another company who's going to sponsor my video next month, where a company will actually pay you to create a video, and then you shout them out within it, and you talk a little about what they stand for. And you'll kind of think of the outline of that video together. And you can make a lot of money from it. You know, you could make anywhere from a hundred bucks to in the thousands, depending on the company and also how much of an expert you're seeing in your channel. Let's see. There are other ways as well. I need to think. Um, we've got <laughs> affiliate links, AdSense. Even merch. I know some big YouTubers make a ton off of merch. Yeah, yeah, merch. <laughs> yeah, you can sell merch. That's true too. Once you hit 10K, you are able to have merch. I'm excited. I'm going to start making some hats and put them on my channel. 
And yeah, I think the biggest thing though is really the big kicker is getting money into your own business. So your own clients, your own products, because it's a search engine, it's just so powerful. And a lot of people are willing to do it. They're not willing to put the time into YouTube when it doesn't have to be as time consuming as people think. And there's just so many different ways that you can be making money off of it. Like so many different streams of income. So fun. Get on YouTube. I think the message is loud and clear that people need to get on YouTube. And because you've been mentioning all the great things you've been doing, like the successful things, but just as important are, you know, the mistakes, the things that you were wasting time on. So that would be something I'd be interested in. What's something that you found yourself putting a lot of time and effort into that just didn't have enough return for you to keep doing it? For me in my business, in the beginning, I try to do both on YouTube. So I, or both in my ESL referral business, I tried to be on YouTube and also be on Instagram. And because I saw other people on Instagram, I felt like I, I needed to be when it really didn't serve my business that much at all. So it's a big waste of time. I could have been putting out more content on YouTube instead of worrying about like, what was my Instagram following? And, and, and you know, looking at vanity metrics, I think that's a big thing. And I hear it a lot from even clients who they're like, oh, well, I needed to get more views. Vanity metrics don't matter when you're using platforms that are search engines. Are you showing up for that very specific thing? If someone were to Google it, like YouTube it, would it show up? If it does, then that's all that really matters is like your ideal people are seeing it. You know, I've had one client, her video had 300 views. Three clients have come from that video. A high ticket clients. So I think the big thing is I used to worry a lot about vanity metrics and I'd worry about how many subscribers I had and growing my other social media platforms when it just really didn't matter. And if I would have focused on one thing in the beginning, rather than trying to do all the things, I know my channel would be double or quadruple what it is now. So I think that's a lesson a lot of entrepreneurs learn is we want to do all the things in the beginning where I'm really taking one thing at a time is like master something and then move on to the next. And so once I really mastered YouTube, then I moved on to Instagram and now that's done well. But it took me not having to have any brain power on YouTube, like all the brain power put in, I'd created a system and then I could move on and have success in something else. And speaking of Instagram and just other social medias in general, are there best practices when it comes to repurposing content? Like, is there a best way to do it? Because obviously all the platforms are different. The tags are different, like how you're going to present the content slightly different, but we all have limited time. So what's the easiest way to like repurpose a, you know, 15 minute YouTube video that's like widescreen. Then there's all these like really high frequency social media platforms like the TikToks and the Instagram reels and even YouTube shorts now. Yeah, I would say for me, at least, of course, every platform is a bit different, right? But I've noticed that if I'm creating content that is helpful in answering specific questions and still pretty engaging, right? It flows and it's fast. I can create one video and put it on YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, and TikTok. And they'll all do pretty good. And usually there'll be one platform where it does like really good. And the other is like, oh, it's okay, but it's still serving my business. I'm happy with it, right? So I think the best way is probably like you, TikTok needs to be a little bit more like you're just a fly on the wall. Like this is me in my life. I'm so casual. And then YouTube shorts is like a little bit more put together and Instagram is just like trying to be TikTok, right? So obviously sometimes you want to show up in different ways. But for me, like who's got the time? I'm now for my, the way I repurpose is I will really take time with one video and knowing like, is this what my ideal client avatar is struggling with and is needing to know? Yes. Okay. Then I'm going to film that on my phone and then I edit it on InShot. I add captions through the captions app. It takes like maybe two minutes to add captions if I want to do that. And then boom, I've got a video that I can put out on three different platforms. And with shorts, YouTube shorts, you can actually schedule them out. So 
that's how I've been doing my content. And I feel like it's really like, I'm really liking that. I know with Instagram, pulling people, like having content that's more entertaining does really well for reels. And so I think I tell my clients, like when you feel in the mood to like make these funny reels, have some that we have lists of ones that are trending. So like, go ahead and make one of those. But those aren't really like, those can grow your following, but there's not really what's going to convert in the end. What's going to convert in the end are the ones that are probably a little bit less views, but more targeting that ICA. So that's how I repurpose. I don't know if it's the best way, but that's how I do it. And you were just talking about some of the the tools that you're using. And like earlier, we talked about equipment, but that was actually what I was going to ask next is some of the tools that maybe people who are wanting to get into this should look out for or give a shot or give a try to, whether it be adding graphics to their screen, you know, making little animations pop up. Like a lot of YouTube videos you see have things popping up on top of their video. Like what are some of your favorite tools that you use for editing the video or adding a little flair? Yes. So for YouTube videos specifically, I recommend for new YouTubers, if you have an Apple product, just use iMovie. And if you have a PC, use Filmora or just use Filmora with either one. Filmora seems to be the most user-friendly. I don't use Filmora. I use Final Cut Pro, but Final Cut Pro is like a little bit more robust and it can be overwhelming to, to start out editing in. So Filmora is wonderful. There's loads of different animations and things you can just like easily drag in. You don't need to be a video editor to understand how to do it. And there's great tutorials on YouTube. So um, I recommend to do that. But if you're using, let's say for shorts, I like editing on InShot. Of course, you can still edit on your desktop. Lately, I haven't had as much time. So I'll just do it within InShot and I'll add some like little graphics within it that come along with it. And then I'll use captions, a captions app. Now, InShot, I always recommend like invest the money into these things. They're not super expensive. InShot, I think is only like maybe like 50 bucks a year. And then captions the same. I think it's like 54 bucks a year. But if you're creating content pretty consistently, it's super worth the time that it saves you. And so I can imagine when you first started all of this, Danny, that you were doing everything yourself, like every single entrepreneur. But I know I've heard you talk about you have a VA at this point. So at this stage in your business, what are you doing yourself and what do you outsource to your virtual assistant? Yeah, so my VA is she's like more than the VA. She's like, Alora is amazing. And I hired her on like before I was ever ready to have a VA. And I remember when I hired her, I'm like, I have no clue like what it should look like to have a VA. So we'll just like figure this out together. And it's been wonderful ever since. She just does the things that I don't like to do. So I hate creating like any sort of Instagram content that's not a video. So she does all of that for me. She's really wonderful at like taking my ideas and writing them in a way more just understandable when she takes my scroll brain and like she'll take a lot of my ideas and kind of help me map them out. So at this point now, she has really helped me with even in like marketing too. So like our sales pages as well. That's something I didn't have the time to do. So she made my whole last landing page for Magnetic Creator Academy, which is my YouTube course. So she did all of that. So pretty much just anything I don't have time for anymore, I've entrusted to her. I think the most valuable thing in her being my VA is the ideas that we come up with together. I feel like she has a solid grasp of marketing. And that's something I said, like, I would always share as much of my knowledge as I had with her. If I knew something, I was going to share it with her because like the more she knew, the more that we could do together. And so that's been really cool. Like now I feel like she knows even way more about marketing business than I do. (laughs) So she does that. And I'm actually looking to hire on somebody now who just does really basic uploading optimization for my clients. And I'll be able to just kind of look that over because that I've had I've had a lot of clients graduate and now want me to just manage their channels. I don't have time for that, so I will have somebody doing the bulk of the SEO stuff, and then I'll just be kind of like looking over everything. You've talked about your clients a few times. Are you coaching 
all types of YouTubers or do you have a niche for what you're coaching? I do have a niche, right? I always want a niche, uh, but I have worked with like all types of clients, right? We attract into like one ideal person, but that doesn't mean we don't pull in the others. So I think that's always so nice. I mainly work with now before I was mainly working with teachers. So a lot of ESL teachers are just brick and mortar school teachers building their channels. But now I've really gotten into health and wellness. So that's something I've always been like really passionate about. And the structure of being able to grow and brand yourself on YouTube the overall strategy is it's all the same, right? Depending, it doesn't matter what niche you're in. We switch things up a bit when it comes to SEO, but really it works for everybody. So I decided who do I really want to attract? Who do I most enjoy work with? And we usually women in health and wellness. So I work with nutritionists, dietitians, I've got dentists, that sort of a thing. So that those are mainly my clients kind of fit that niche, but I've had guys in real estate and people in other industries as well. But that is mainly my niche now, helping them build out their brands and build client acquisition that funnel through YouTube. Love it. Well, Danny, we are nearing the end of our time together here. And for those who are interested in learning more about YouTube, maybe they want to get into Magnetic Creator Academy or just work with you. And it sounds like you're building out like this whole system. We're going to be helping people imagine their SEO. Where are the best places for people to stay in touch and keep up? Definitely. So you can send me a DM at Hey Danny J on Instagram. Check out my channel as well, Hey Danny J. And my website is also HeyDannyJ.com. So any one of those, you can hit me up. Unfortunately, I am on Instagram a lot. So if you DM me, I'll get back to you and yeah, we can talk. <laughs> you can learn more about Magnetic Creator Academy on my website. Doors are closed right now, but they open up about every six months. And yeah, it's an awesome way to really understand like the strategy to building a magnetic brand and then scaling through strategy on YouTube. Well, Danny, thank you so much for giving us some time. And I know I'm excited to have our listeners get to hear us pick your brain and get a lot of tips from you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Start a YouTube channel. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts share this with a friend. And also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.